Hi, my name is Nick. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this, uh, this morning. Uh, I have the privilege of, over these next two weeks, talking about our transition from South and Spilton to Mercer Commons. Uh, and uh, if you're a visitor with us, um, this is probably one of those meetings that, that may have a little bit of background and language that we may not understand, but we just, we're going to also make much of Jesus, which is part of what we do every Sunday. So uh, hopefully there'll be something for you to focus your attention on. Um, in November of 2012, uh, as elders at Southlands, we decided that we wanted to plant an expression of Southlands in Fullerton. Uh, we were praying at uh, the hill that is there by the Summit House, and, uh, and we felt that God was leading us to start that. So in February of 2013, we put together a, a leadership team, and at that time it was myself and Neil and CJ and a weird man called Kevin Mish. And he, uh, he was part of the leadership team, and uh, and I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank Neil and Jack, uh, CJ and Gabby are on a plane to Hawaii, so they'll be thanked in absentia. Um, but uh, I, I remember uh, us meeting at the lunchtime and uh, praying at Lemon Park outside, um, and uh, as we were praying around there, I looked down and there was a dead bird. Do you remember this? And I was like, is this a sign? <laughs> are, are, are we not supposed to do this? So, so one of the themes that you will find today is like my massive insecurities that God challenged throughout the whole process. Um, in March 10th of 2013, you can believe that, we had our first meeting at Lemon Park. Who was at that meeting? Why don't you stand up? Just stand up if you can. March 10th, 2013. That was our first meeting in the park. Thanks, guys. Um, this was a group of people that gathered together, and we gathered together at Lemon Park from April until August of 2013, and we did two things. We said, God, will you speak to us? And God, will you shape this idea of what it means to have a community dwell, live in, participate with, and be a light to the city of Philadelphia? Um, in September of 2013, we started evening meetings at Laguna Road Primary. Who was there? Who joined us there? Um, and so what, what happened was we met there from September and through to December. And we had our final meeting uh, on one very cold night in December, which really was another thing that challenged my insecurities. Because what happened was they forgot to open for us. Uh, which would have been a problem had anyone shown up. You know? Because they were about 12 and Rob Frampton was there trying to lead worship. That's right. He was, he was there trying to lead worship. And there were about 16 of us. And the next week, we were going to do our big launch right here at the YMCA um, in that January. And I went home and I said to Neil, well, three months is not a bad month. You know? <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you finding a pattern here? Right? You know, I always look on the bright side of life. So, um, so after that, after that last meeting debacle in the, in the evening, we met in January 2014 at the Y, and that's where we've been ever since. And we have been looking for a new facility um, to be able to serve the city more effectively. In October of 2018, uh, elders at Southlands decided that actually we need to look towards transitioning what is Southlands Fullerton to become Mercy Commons. So October 2018, we started looking at what that would look like, 
In February of 2019, we brought on Travis and uh, Sean with their wives as elders here, and that for me was an amazing picture of what God was doing in the context of that transition. We'd already made the decision uh, to become Mercy Commons and to become an autonomous church within the Advanced Network, and Travis was coming on as an OG. Um, he was there with Hannah um, at uh, Lemon Park, and Sean had joined us at Laguna Road. Um, uh, and, and so what God was doing was adding to our leadership team someone in a sense that represented our past and someone that represented our future. And in March 2019, most of you will remember that we made the announcement that we were becoming Mercy Commons and in two weeks time we become Mercy Commons. So God has been incredibly, incredibly faithful to us over this time. And our process as elders was when we were making this decision, we, we asked a couple of questions. We, we said, what, what has God done? What is He already doing? Who has He drawn us? Who has He drawn to us? And what is He calling us into? And this was during the, uh, the time of Lent when, we were, uh, when I was preparing for our, our Easter um, kind of series. And one of the... Uh, one of the times that I preached, and, and the leadership team will know that because they, they, they kind of nudged, we knew that we were going to call ourselves something that had to do with mercy. Um, and I don't know if any of you remember that I preached. That, yeah, I don't know. All the leaders will remember that. They're like, who would supposed to say anything about this? And I'm like, no one's going to remember that. And I preached on, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. And, uh, and, and part of what I want to take you through is the journey with elders, actually with it, how we came to the name Mercy Commons. Um, we, uh, at that time particularly, I was just so um, troubled by how angry and contentious and entitled our, our culture was, and how no one seemed to cry out for mercy for anyone else. You know, it, we cry out judgment, but we don't cry out mercy, and I, I have this rhythm on, um, in the evenings I have a prayer chain, it's not a rosary, it's just a chain that, that someone made for me, and it has, um, it has four sets of ten kind of little prayer things, and, and the first thing I do is, is kind of pray for our world, um, and, and it, was, it, was, it was late one night, and I was particularly angry about certain things that were going on in, in the world, and, and I, just, I just remember being able to say, the only thing I was able to say is, Lord Jesus, have mercy. On X. Lord Jesus had mercy on us. And I just thought about the power of that word. You know, it's a, it's a prayer that has existed traditionally for millennia in the context of the Christian church. It's, it's literally called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on your sinner. It's, it's that simple. And I just thought about the power of that statement and how we've lost some of that power. You know, as I've said, we, we groan for justice. We, we want wrongs to be righted. Uh, we, we want injustice to cease. But when it comes to our own hearts, we cry out for mercy. When it comes to others, we cry out for judgment. Um, uh, more than 10 years ago, Sasha uh, was a young man, unmarried and no children. And he was on this training course called Training in Ministry School that had the unfortunate... Uh, joy for me to be leaving there. And they had a bunch of assignments to do and none of them were ready. And so someone, and I can't remember who it was, was chosen as the representative 
to come and ask for a, um, an extension. <laughs> so this person came to my office and said, look, you know, we've had a lot of work to do, so can, can we have an extension? And, uh, and I said, yes, you can. Am I not merciful? You, know? <laughs> you have to remember, at the time, Gladiator was the theme, right? And so that made a whole lot more sense, am I not merciful? And then a couple of weeks later, they, 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 um, someone made a Gladius sword with Mick the Merciful written on it. <laughs> I still have it in my office. And I know it was a joke, you know. But what happened in that is, is God began to speak to me about how unmerciful I am, mm. just in my own heart towards people, um, and how much mercy I've received. And also just looking at the context of this community, how much mercy we have received. Um, and so that's where the idea of being a community that is marked by the mercy of God um, because we've tasted deep of the mercy of God to be able to extend that mercy. Uh, and commons being a resource uh, that is shared by everyone and that everyone has a common responsibility for. And we'll talk more about commons next week. I, uh, one of the privileges I have is to visit other churches, particularly uh, with young church planners, and, and just help them kind of frame whether they're going through difficult times or decisions. And, and uh, one of the churches had what, what, what I, I said to call vision whiplash. And, and one of those things is, is, is when we change what we believe we exist for and how we're going to do that like every year. Um, and, and his church was just so fatigued by this. One of the things that, that we've said from the beginning and our, and our whole eldership team has, has agreed is that there is nothing quite as powerful as a clear and compelling vision of Jesus. You know, we can have cool and uh, pithy statements that are neat and memorable and cool, and those can spur us on. But a clear and compelling vision of Jesus, who He is, what He's done, and how He's active within us, will not only spur us on to do what He's called us to do, but will help us in times of failure and trial. And that, a pithy little vision statement won't help us with. So this morning I want to look at who God is, and then therefore who we are. And I'm not going to apologize for repetition because part of who we are is the things that God has embedded in our foundations that we need to return to time and time again. Uh, Peter, one of the apostles, as he wrote his letters, he's, he's saying, I am not going to apologize for repetition, so if he doesn't need to, I do. <laughs> this is a scripture that um, Sean mentioned when he spoke about mercy. It's a scripture that we've spoken about a lot. Um, but this is a, a scripture where um, where God self-describes Himself. Now those of you that have, that have been on a first date maybe, and you sit down, or maybe across the table, and you say, so tell me about yourself. And you either hear about that person, like who they really are, or a whole bunch of lies, you know. Um, it's because they want to make themselves look good, it's true, you know. Um, and, and so this is, in a sense, Moses is saying to God, so tell me about yourself, you know. Um, what has happened, is the Israelites have been incredibly unfaithful and disobedient, and they've created a God, which they worship, and Moses has gone ballistic. Um, and he has uh, crushed this uh, golden calf, made it into dust, mixed it with water, and made everyone drink it. Okay. He's mad. He's very mad. He's executing judgment uh, on the people of Israel. And so he, he has this conversation with God, and, and then he says to God, okay, well, well, tell me what you're like. And God says, I'm so pure and so holy that if you see me, you will be destroyed. But I will show you my back. I will pass in front of you, and I will tell you who I am. 
And in Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, this is how God self-discloses himself. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon their children, upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And the very first word that God uses to describe himself in this context is merciful, as one that extends mercy. This is important because sometimes we have this weird um, kind of differentiation between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. We have like angry God and happy God. No, God has always been exactly how he describes himself to be. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy to the thousands. And this is a little gospel kind of uh, picture because God's kindness extends to thousands. And yet, the guilty will not be clear. He is so holy, so pure, that he cannot just wink at sin. And more importantly, it's not just our sin that God cannot wink at, that, that needs to be taken care of, but he knows because he created us, that our sin creates a, a, a pattern for us not being able to flourish in the way in which we were designed to flourish. So not only is sin an offense against God because we've sinned against him, but it is actually walking in a way that we were not designed to walk in. The iniquity of the fathers was visited on the children, but specifically in Jesus, the iniquity of our fathers was visited on Jesus, the Son of God. It was the Son of God that took our penalty and our shame so that we could walk in freedom and oneness with God. In Matthew 27, verse 25, as, as the people are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, when, when uh, Pilate says, should I let Barabbas go, or, or should I let Jesus go, and they start crucifying, crucifying, and he says, look, this guy's done nothing, he's innocent, I'm actually washing my hands of his blood, they make this profound statement, they say, his blood be on us, and on our children. They had no idea what they were saying at that stage. What they were saying, what they thought they were saying is, we will be guilty of his death. But what they said prophetically is that Jesus' blood would be that which breaks the curse of generational sin. That Jesus' mercy would be able to extend to the thousands because sin was paid for in that moment. So who we are is a direct outcome of who God is and what he has done. And so Peter, in his letter to uh, the churches that, um, that are kind of scattered around experiencing persecution, he tells them who they are. And this is another scripture that we've used consistently throughout our journey as someone's bulletin in our mercy comments. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or special or prized people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, or in other words, aliens, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Who is Mercy Commons? Mercy Commons is a group of 
common people that have been rescued by the uncommon mercy of God. We are a people that have been called to display His mercy. We are people that have been called to proclaim His mercy. And we've been a people that have been called to engage His world by acts of mercy. And so that's what we'll look at. What does it mean to be rescued by His mercy? Well, judgment is the opposite of mercy. We no longer have to fear judgment. Our, our sin is purged. When I was a, a, a young boy, my brother and I, we climbed over onto the neighbor's yard, and this was a, a rickety little wall, and the, the wall was made of, of concrete panels, and so the wall collapsed. And so we ran up um, into the, the apartment, we, we finished the bath, and we were bathing, showering, and we came out, and, and I said, oh, Mom, how much does a wall cost? <laughs> She's like, why? Like, no, 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 he said, I was just wondering how much a wall costs, you know? I mean, my brother and I kept that secret for years. After I was married, I told my mom that. <laughs> you know? And they claimed, just like every other parent would claim, oh, we knew that. You know, we knew that that was not. And that sat with me. It was like the sense of judgment because I hadn't kind of confessed that. I felt so much better that I'd actually kind of confessed that. I did it to avoid this idea of judgment. And one of the things that we do as human beings is that we don't come for mercy because somehow we, we have been brainwashed to believe that we don't need mercy. That somehow the way we, we live our lives is not as bad as, um, as the people that we compare ourselves to. Therefore, we don't need the mercy of God. We like to wink at our sin in comparison to the sins that other people have committed. What we don't realize is that we're not just lost little children wandering around naively not knowing where we're going. The Bible does talk about us as being lost. And there is, there is the nature of God the Father that comes to find us. Uh, there is a lostness in us where, where it's not necessarily our fault, but we, we just got lost. We have to understand that there is something within us that is sinful and proud and rebellious and autonomous that is saying to God, I want to do things my way. It's not just accidental sin that God, God's mercy covers over. The power of His mercy is that God covers over premeditated, malicious sin. Now, it's so much easier, right, for you to cry out for mercy in a situation where you didn't intend that situation to work out like that. Man, I'm so sorry. Usually, the next words out of my mouth were, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean for it to happen that way. But we need mercy even more when we know deep in our hearts that I planned that thing to happen that way. I placed myself in a situation of temptation. I removed the hurdles that my friends and family had placed in me that were helpful in this situation. Oh, God, have mercy on me. We want immediate judgment. We live, we live in this context of, of like uh, instant calm, right? And we want immediate judgment, especially if someone's cut us off on the freeway. We want immediate judgment <laughs> for them. We want immediate judgment for them, not for us. Now, this is the problem. If we are not immediately judged for our sin, what happens is we think that it's not that bad. So what happens is if there isn't an immediate consequence, for my sinful lifestyle, what begins to happen in my mind is I begin to think, well, maybe that's not so bad. 
Now, people told me that if I overindulge in drinking, this would, uh, this, you know, it would be bad for me. It isn't that bad. I'm, things are okay. It's one of the worst things that we can experience is the fact that our consequences will be delayed that actually places us in a situation where we can't exit that sin until it's too late. We want immediate judgment. But both for ourselves, okay, God, if this was wrong, then, then show me. You didn't show me, so this, this can't be wrong. We want immediate judgment. And we think that if we haven't received the consequences that we've gotten away with something, that there will be a final judgment. When I was uh, 12 or 13, I was driving my bike, riding my bike, I guess. And, and, and this will certainly age me. And uh, we had a dairy in South Africa, and I had to go and fetch the milk from the dairy, which was glass bottles. So I had this little carrier and they, they had BMX bikes back then, they did. And, and so I had the milk on the front crossbar and there was this um, there was this young man that we used to bully as kids. And he was coming this way and I was turning um, and I was yelling at him. I was making fun of him as I was turning around the corner. And he was just walking, you know, just had his head down. He was just walking. Um, and then as I was yelling at him, and I'm not even going to tell you what I was saying, as I was yelling at him, I look up and this truck had stopped. And I smashed right into the truck. Not fully, but my left handlebar hit that so that my bike swung around. I hit the side of the truck, landed on all the broken glass. And so I had like all these cuts on my leg. And I was lying there, and guess who came to help me? Aww. The kid that I was yelling and bullying came to help me. Do you know how I felt in that moment? <laughs> no, I felt terrible in that moment. And those moments are where you hope, God, if I'm doing something wrong, hit me right there. Let a truck stop and hit me right there so that I don't do that again. You know? The problem is those things tend to not happen and what we need to do is reach out for the mercy of God. This is one of the things, guys, that I will say. As embarrassed as I am by that, there are sins that have been hidden in my life that the longer they stay hidden, the longer they remain unconfessed to God and to others, the more difficult it is to find freedom. As embarrassing and shameful as that story was, it happened like this. I never really officially apologized to him but I never called him what I called him again. I don't know why. I wasn't saved then. I don't know whether I really thought the wrath of God would rest upon me again if I did. The fact is I was changed. And that's one of the things the mercy of God does, is change us. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer when he talks about the mercy of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the mercy of God did not become any greater. It could not become any greater, for it already was infinite. We get this odd notion that God is showing mercy because Jesus died. No, Jesus died because God is showing mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us Calvary, not Calvary that gave us mercy. If God had not been merciful, there would have been no incarnation, no babe in the manger, no man on the cross, no open tomb, on the hand, no Jesus <coughs> at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. We've been rescued from judgment to mercy. We've been rescued from darkness to light. Jesus experienced utter darkness and loneliness of death so that we may have light. Scripture says, no longer groping around in the darkness. 
And, and, and this is not just about being blind and trying to find your way in the dark. And I've, I've used this before, but this is about the kinds of things we do in the dark. You know, scripture and human nature tells you that, that worse things happen at night in the darkness. And we have been translated, we've been moved from darkness to light. There are other scriptures that say we once were darkness, we now are light. We've been transformed from darkness to light. We've been moved from insignificance to a new identity. We are God's special treasure. A significant possession of God. The God of the universe made himself insignificant like Neil preached last week so that we could gain the significance of being part of his family. The amazing thing about this is we don't have to prove ourselves. Did you hear that? We don't have to prove ourselves to ourselves, to the people around us, to anyone. That God has named us children of God for that is what we are. Before we did anything, he claimed ownership over us. We said, you are mine. And we've been given a purpose, not so that we have value, but because we have so much value, God has given us a purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim and display His mercy. We don't raise our value by trying to avoid, hide, or revel in our own sinfulness. Our worth is amplified when we understand that in the midst of our sin and brokenness, God's a still rests on us. He still calls me my son. He still calls me my daughter. He still calls me by his name. You are chosen and you are loved. I was picking a team for one of the softball teams that, that I was coaching with Ben and there was this particularly good player that was a real punk. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, do I choose her? Because if I choose her, we will win. <laughs> and those of you that know me, that's kind of important. <laughs> or do I not choose her because of her attitude and her nature and her entitlement? But if I choose her, we will win. <laughs> but if I choose her, she's going to spread this attitude throughout the whole team. But if I choose her, we will win. <laughs> you, you know, this is the amazing thing, is that we are loved and chosen. We're not chosen because we can do something for God. Because we can't. We're like children joining God on the rest, in the restoration of all things. He could do this without us. We have the privilege of joining Him. This is probably one of the most important things that those of us that have, that have grown up in a Christian context need to hear. God loves you, and He likes you. He's not just theologically bound to love you. He chooses to love you, and He likes who you are. He hasn't just chosen you because you're good at something, you're this punk that can play while he's going, no. He's chosen you because you belong to Him. He pursued you, sought you, found you, rescued you. You are His. You have a new identity. And as a new identity, we've been called to display His mercy. One of the things I say almost every Sunday is, let's go out there and be the church. And one of the ways that we do that is that we display both the common grace of God in the sense that it is accessible to all, and the uncommon mercy of God in the sense that it is so valuable and powerful. 
we are first and foremost a family, not a club, not an organization. We are a purposeful family. Francis Schaeffer says it best when he says, let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. So he's talking about, yes, let, let's, let's make sure that we understand who God is and how to express that. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gave is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. The observable love for true Christians for true Christians. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And this community has been phenomenal in displaying that kind of mercy. There have been life groups that have taken up collection to help someone pay their rent, remove house. Uh, there have been people that have given other people jobs. Uh, there have been people that have uh, driven people to rehab. There have been people that have um, helped with meals at births. Uh, there, there has been dramatic sacrificial help, not just given from the church as an organization, but from the people. That has been something that I'm like, that is, that's, that's, that's what he's talking about here. That's the display of his mercy. That has been profound. But there's also been the really cool, simple things. You know, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the plane. I was going to join my wife on vacation. And uh, we got this new little ring doorbell, right? And, um, and so I get this notification just about as we we're about to uh, take off. There is motion at your door. And, and so I'm like, oh, this is cool. You know? so, so I look at it, and it's a couple from this church that has come to visit us with four toes. Four toes And I'm sitting there next to Erin and some random stranger, and I'm going, no! That's how I quickly text Chelsea, because Chelsea was living with us at the time. And I say, please don't let this go to waste. Now, <laughs> Chelsea claims to be gluten free. <laughs> but it's Cordos. So, so I don't know who enjoyed that. You know? Oh, was it Betsy? Okay. okay. We can love each other in very simple ways. We can love each other by the way in which we talk to each other. We can love each other by the way in which we meet practical needs. But one of the most important ways that we can display God's mercy is the way in which we love one another. Because if we can't sacrificially love each other, and if we can't actually put ourselves out for the benefit of those in, in this community, there is no way that we will be able to do that for a lost and broken world that does not appreciate what it is that we're doing as we extend ourselves in the name of Jesus. We're a royal priesthood. We don't need a temple and we don't need priests anymore because we are both a temple and we are both priests. The temple curtain has been torn when Jesus was crucified. The temple curtain tore, separating what was separating the Holy of Holies. And, and, and some people say it was so that we could enter the Holy of Holies. I like to think it was so that God rushed out to us. Never meaning this space again. Saying that you are the temple of God. I will dwell in you through the Holy Spirit. We have personal access to God, and as a priesthood, it is our responsibility to bring others to God, to offer sacrifices to God. Romans 12, verse 1 says that our lifestyle 
is a worshipful sacrifice to God. Whether I'm actually worshipping with words or deciding not to complain is worship. The way we tend to the temple is a way that we display His mercy as well. And I'll talk about that next week when we talk about what the commons means. But we are also aliens, sojourners. I took Fiona to South Africa and people ask me, where am I from? I'm like, are you, are you serious? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no, you're, you're, you sound American. I'm like, I don't sound American. Trust me, when I tell you, I don't sound American. I come here and I go to Newport and I paint these touristy places because everyone's like, where are you from? And I say, Bulletin. <laughs> and Colin's like, that's not what you're asking. I'm like, I know that's not what I'm asking, but I'm not going to be treated like some kind of tourist. I've probably been here longer than they have. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you, I'm not a very gracious, merciful person. <laughs> Let me say this though, it's hard being an alien. It, it, it's hard making a statement and then people look at you like a Serbian. What the heck is a Serbian? A napkin. May I have a napkin, please? Okay. <laughs> It, it, but one of the things that we need to recognize as a community is that we are aliens. Uh, there, there is something about us that does not fit because this is not our ultimate home. Early Christians were considered aliens because they didn't go to gladiatorial games, they didn't participate in orgies, so they were seen as antisocial. They didn't join Caesar's requests um, to be part of the legionnaires, and so they were considered unpatriotic. Uh, they were against abortion and infanticide in those days if you um, if a, a, a young girl was born to you you could just toss her away they, they were against that they empowered women they were against outs they were against sex outside of marriage and same sex they were behind the times they were for the poor they mixed races they mixed cultures and they considered jesus christ to be lord of all they were religious bigots but what if it was a group that was against colonial military violence that empowered women that served the poor, that was that that had mixed classes and races in it. It sounds liberal, right? What if there was a group that was against abortion, sex outside of marriage, and considered Christ the only way to salvation? That sounds conservative, right? Well, guess what? We're both. We don't fit into any group neatly, and that's part of what makes us aliens. There, there, there's a reality to being engaged mercifully in all of those contexts, and we need to understand what that is, and refuse to be labeled one way or another. Is I can love and want to empower women and also love a child that is yet unborn. I can do the same, and you can't tell me that I can't. Yeah. And part of what living as aliens is, is being able to understand that we can love people that think differently to us. It is possible. This world tells us that in order to love people, we need to agree with them. That is not true. Yeah. Jesus deeply loved people and did not agree with the way they saw their lives. But when they left, they felt loved and true and seen. Those are the kinds of people that we are to be a people that proclaim His mercy. Verse 9 says that you proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Let me say this, part of effective proclamation is effective listening. I told Jeannie, I was sitting and made coffee uh, yesterday, and I was eavesdropping on a conversation. And by conversation, I'm being 
time. Because it was three people talking over each other. Not my conversation. Not your, not, not your conversation. <laughs> and they were talking about, they were talking about God, they were talking about church, they, they were talking about really cool things. But I suddenly realized none of them actually listened to each other. They were just and one of the effective ways that we will be able to proclaim a message of mercy and truth and grace is to be able to listen first and speak. Because Jesus has called us to proclaim the message. But we won't know the message that be able to hit that person in the soul unless we listen to it. And so listening is part of effective proclamation. But we do need to open our mouths. Our actions are important. Yes, they set a platform for our message. But we need to know what we believe. We need to have the courage to say what we believe. And then we need to pray so that that seed can germinate. Because this is not a philosophical discussion. This is not an academic discussion. This is a spiritual discussion. And if people are to be translated from darkness to light, it is also a battle. So yes, know what you believe. Yes, be prepared to state what you believe. But pray as much as you speak for the person that you're talking to. We are supposed to talk about Jesus more than we talk about abstaining from the lusts of this world. And generally, as Christians, we've received this stereotype of being unmerciful or judgmental, and so we swing to the other side of you be you. And Jesus was none of those things. And so as we, as we become the community that God has called us to be, we need to be able to proclaim His mercy. And finally, we need to be a people that engage the world with active mercy. And we'll talk more about this next week as we talk about what it means to be a commons. But it says, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they see your good deeds, they may glorify your Father. Our, our personal behavior needs to reflect the sense of abstaining from the passions of the world that war against us. Yes, but just like James, James says this is pure religion, to look after the poor and widows and orphans, and, and, to remain unspotted from the world. And so there's a lot of people that claim either side of that scripture. It is, we are to be engaged with acts of mercy in the world, and at the same time, not to be spotted by the world. Our public behavior needs to be such that it contradicts the caricatures of Christianity. The people that are on display for the reality that I can love you, even if I don't agree with you, and that I and part of this community, working for the common good of this city, the peace of this city, things that are good for the city and beyond. Not just the tribal issues. Not just the issues that affect us as a church, as, as, a, as a religious institution. No, the things that are important to the people that are our neighbors. Those things are important to us as well. We need to be engaged in good works that are provocative. Why are you guys engaged in looking after orphans? Why are you engaged in foster care? Why are you working with OCNI? Why are you doing those things? We're doing it because we have been changed by the mercy of God. We have an opportunity to display that, to proclaim, and to work, to, to actually use our energy by the grace of God to bring a merciful outcome. We are abandoned. We are a Christ-centered, spirit-enabled family but that won't change. It may not be sexy enough for you. 
it's definitely short enough for me. <laughs> but that, that, is, that is who we are. We have a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. Betsy reminded us this morning, Betsy reminded us this morning that we uh, need a new music stand. She reminded us this morning that um, God has been faithful in terms of the scriptures that he has given to us as kind of minor markers of our journey. Um, and the scripture that she read this morning is the scripture that God gave us at the very first free meeting um, on March 10th of 2013. Um, Moses is talking to God and he says, and, he, and, um, and, and Moses, and he said, uh, God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with you, do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other person on the face of the earth. And we've said to our gracious Father, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us. We said that from the beginning, and we will continue to say that. And I want to say this morning that none of this is possible without the Spirit. So we can't wipe out of this. It's impossible for us to do. And maybe you're here as someone that has not yet put their faith in Christ. Maybe one of the things you need to consider as, as we respond in song is maybe what you need this morning is that initial sense of mercy. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on this sin. God's love, affection, forgiveness will flood your soul and you will be free from sin, from devil, and from death. It's that simple. For us that have known Jesus for a while, we need to ask the Spirit, this presence that God promised, I will go with you. God, I need help to display your mercy. God, I need help to proclaim God, I need help to access my world with works of mercy. Mercy Commons, we are a rescued people. We've been redeemed by, by God from the futility of self. We've been given a new identity. God's mercy has flooded our souls and we have the privilege to be able to extend that mercy to the people that are at our work, in our homes, in our parks, in our friendships. We have the opportunity to make much of Jesus. We have the opportunity to be a community that loves one another deeply so that people look and say, truly they are disciples of Jesus. We have the opportunity to make much of Jesus. So let's be the church and make much of Jesus. Would you stand?